You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Christian is someone who thinks they're saved or someone who wants others to believe that they are saved when indeed they are not. I mean, they look saved, they talk saved, their actions may look like they're saved, and some may even believe that they are saved. Others know that they're not saved, but they just want to fit in. They want to be those ravenous wolves because they have their own agenda. They have their own ulterior motive, if you will. They say the right things. They hang out with the right people. Even some read the Bible and pray they're lost. Counterfeit money is something that doesn't get you very far. It looks and feels like the real thing, but somewhere down the road, it becomes obvious that it's fake. Today, Pastor Dave touches on the fact that many people think they're saved, but they're like counterfeit money, playing the part. Each person must make his faith his own. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of Acts chapter 8 as he begins his message, The Counterfeit Revival. Acts 8, 9 through 13. If everybody's there, I'll read aloud if you would want to read along silently. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But there was a certain man called Simon, who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed. From the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. But when they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus, both men and women were baptized. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. We're going to do a two-part study on the counterfeit Christian. The Counterfeit Christian, and today is the first part, and today's message is entitled The Counterfeit Revival. The Counterfeit Revival. Have you ever heard the phrase that begins with, well, if it looks like a duck? You've heard that phrase, right? Well, you may not know it, but this phrase is attributed to an Indiana poet named James Whitcomb Riley, and he lived between 1849 and 1916. The phrase was later popularized by the United States by Richard Patterson, Jr., who was the ambassador to the the country of Guatemala during the Cold War in the 1950s. And what he did was basically accuse the Guatemalan government of being communist, and these were the words and his reasoning. Suppose you see a bird walking around in a farmyard. The bird has no label that says duck. bird certainly looks like a duck. And also, he goes to the pond, and you notice that the bird swims like a duck. Then he opens his beak and quacks like a duck. Well, by this time, you've probably reached the conclusion that the bird is a duck, whether he's wearing a label or not. Hence, if it looks like a duck, okay. There have been many, many, many variations on this theme, many variations used in certain times. But let's bring this phrase to Christianity, since our theme is counterfeit revival. Let's bring this to Christianity. 
Someone walks into our church not wearing a label that says Christian. Looks like a Christian. They're carrying a Bible. Talks like a Christian. Praise the Lord, brother. Hallelujah. Quote scripture. Looks like a Christian. Sits down among us. Sings the songs that we sing with vibrant, with, with jubilation. Even raises their hand and praises the Lord. He gives generously of his time and even his money. But when you add these things up, he must be saved, right? Not so fast there. Not so fast. He must be a Christian, though, because he's not wearing a label that says Christian. But if it looks like a duck, or if it looks like a Christian, right? It must be a Christian. Well, it may be quite impossible for us to know the difference between those who are true Christians and those who are counterfeits. But I am quite certain that the Lord knows the difference. In fact, in Matthew 7, Jesus, when he was discussing this very thing with his disciples, he says this in verse 15. He talks about these false prophets who are going to come in sheep's clothing, who are inlandly, they're raving and ravenous wolves. He's describing for us the counterfeit Christian. One who looks like everyone else. One who talks like everyone else. One who acts like everyone else. But it really is a ravenous wolf seeking to destroy the sheep. Listen to what Jesus had to say about such in verse 21 of Matthew 7. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I declare to you, depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Ouch. Ouch. What I believe that this scripture is saying is that there are counterfeit Christians. They have a form of godliness. They may look good on the surface, but that's it. On the outside, you can barely tell them from anyone else or tell the difference. But on the inside, they don't know Jesus Christ. They have a divided heart. They have not come to know Christ personally. All they're really doing is practicing religion, not Christianity. A counterfeit Christian is someone who thinks they're saved or someone who wants others to believe that they are saved when indeed they are not. I mean, they look saved, they talk saved, their actions may look like they're saved, and some may even believe that they are saved. Others know that they're not saved, but they just want to fit in. They want to be those ravenous wolves because they have their own agenda. They have their own ulterior motive, if you will. They say the right things. They hang out with the right people. Even some read the Bible and pray, but they're lost. They're lost, and they're on their way to hell for eternity, according to the Scripture I just read. Someone can appear to be Christian and still be lost. They can think that they're Christian and still be lost. Many can hang around and grow up as Christians, but they're still lost. Sometimes being around religious things all your life, you just assume that you are Christian. You just assume that there's no difference. I mean, after all, I was baptized. Pick your pick. Lutheran, Methodist, Baptist, whatever. After all. My parents were Christians. My parents are pastor. Certainly that makes me a Christian. It's the basic principle of Scripture that wherever God sows his true believers, Satan will eventually sow counterfeits. 
You read the parable of the wheat and the tares in Matthew 13, verses 24 through 30. We're not going to take the time to read it, but you should read it. He talks about the wheat and the tares, and in this parable, Jesus anticipates many questions that are plaguing today's church, including the question concerning counterfeit Christianity. He compares the reign of God on earth to a man who plants a wheat field, only to learn later that the enemy planted seed while the man was sleeping. The dilemma created here that coexists is the wheat and the weeds, which are called tares, coexist. They exist in the same field. And this sets the stage for Jesus' explanation on how we're supposed to handle counterfeit Christians, how, what we're supposed to do with counterfeit Christians. So where do counterfeit Christians come from? Well, according to this parable, Jesus doesn't mince words, and he points out that their father is the devil. He picks the devil right out of a lineup of possible culprits and the source of the problem for the church. He calls these fakes sons of the evil one. And Jesus exposes a demonic plan to frustrate the reign and purpose of God in the church. Without the notice of the church leaders, the devil plants men and women in the church who will be useful in response to him, not to God. They share the same appearance as wheat. They look like wheat. They share the same soil as wheat. These false believers are living in close, close proximity to real Christians. You know, outsiders of the church are quick to criticize us and question our veracity for the gospel because some of our leaders, some of the historical leaders of the church, indeed, have been scoundrels. They've been scoundrels, so we get a bad name. But yet, far from undermining the reliability of our faith, this problem confirms the accuracy of the Bible. Jesus said it would happen. Not only Jesus, but we find these warnings in the epistles of Paul, in the epistles of Peter, and in the epistles of John. False teachers, false believers. People will come in just like us with ulterior motives, with an agenda all their own. Coming in, looking like Christians, acting like Christians. If it looks like a duck, must be. So how can we identify these how can we identify these counterfeit? Counterfeit Christians can teach the Word of God. Counterfeit Christians can preach the Word of God. Counterfeit Christians can profess faith. According to the Bible, they can do miracles and they can perform good works. In the parable, no one even noticed the problem until the wheat began to reproduce and formed the heads on there. And the heads of the wheat got difficult and they went, and the weeds kept standing straight up. That's how they could tell the difference. But the key difference between the wheat and the weeds is not in what they do, it's in what they are. See, if I judge you by the works you do, what am I judging you by? It's who you are in Christ that makes a difference as to whether or not you are a counterfeit Christian or a true believer. See, a true believer or true Christians are different because the Spirit of God dwells within them and dwells within their hearts. The Spirit of God brings forth the new man, the new creation. There's a changed life. A life has changed. There's a difference in the activities that you do. The Spirit of God leads this new man into all truth. The Spirit of God conforms the new person, the reborn man, into the image of our Savior. And that's all found in the Scriptures, folks. That's what the... Holy Spirit is going to do. So if there's no change taking place, you're going to stick out. You may say all the right things. You may do all the right things, but there is going to be a difference. Jesus clearly teaches that there will be false converts that he never knew and that are going to hell. In Jesus' own words, more of them are going to be on the broad way, the religious way, but not so many are going to be on that narrow way. Not so many are going to be on that narrow way. 
And this is where we pick up our story today. This is where we pick up our study. Since Pentecost, God has moved mightily through his spirit as we began the book of Acts over a year ago. Thousands upon thousands have come to faith in Jesus Christ through the miracles, the signs and wonders, but the teaching of Peter, the teaching of John, the teaching of the apostles, thousands upon thousands have come to faith in Jesus Christ. But this has not come without a cost. There has been a high cost to pay. Wherever there is a real movement of God's Spirit, Satan will come in as a devouring lion. You can find that in 1 Peter 5, verse 8. We read about this when the apostles were first arrested, then they were threatened. And then they were arrested and threatened and beaten. See, it escalates. Satan came in like a roaring lion, wanting to devour the church, the new church. If Satan doesn't succeed in this attack, he'll change tactics, and he'll come in as a deceiving serpent, like he came to Eve, a deceiving serpent. This we saw in Ananias and Sapphira when they came and they presented their gift to the apostles and said, this is the exact amount that we paid for our, that we received for our house, when indeed it was a lie. Satan was trying to infill the church as a deceiving certain. The Lord dealt with Ananias and Sapphira. They were killed right there on the spot. They died. And from this, the church experienced another revival. More people were at it. More people were at it. Satan again roars his ugly head as a devouring lion when Stephen makes his beautiful profession of faith, which we just spent the last couple months on, and he's killed. And Satan is happy now. Stephen's killed. Shut that witness up. And the church is scattered. The church is scattered abroad. They're, they're going everywhere. Satan thinks, I got them on the run now. Ooh, this is great. This great revival now happens in Samaria that we talked about last, last week, the Samaritan revival. But Satan has many tactics. He's got many things in his bag of tricks. He's got all kinds of things that he can pull out, but this time he's coming to the church as an angel of light. He's coming as an angel of light. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11, verses 13 and 15, it says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. Satan's trying to take on a new tactic with the church. He's going to take on a new tactic. This scripture I just read says that Satan and his followers, they transformed themselves into angels of light, ministers of righteousness. Those that would come into the church looking like Christians, talking like Christians, behaving like Christians. Angels of light coming in with an ulterior plan. It's so easy for us to be taken by an image or an outward appearance because we, in our flesh, are partial. Where God is impartial. He doesn't have partiality, but we, in our flesh, have partiality. We prefer some over others. We prefer to be in some people's company other than others. And we prefer that because our flesh wants it. God has, is not a respecter of person. He has no partiality. He loves us all, for God so loved the world that he gave his begot only begotten son. Unfortunately, most of us will only recognize evil if it openly declares itself as evil. The only way we're going to recognize evil, if Satan came on the stage, unmasked himself and said, I'm Satan, then we might recognize him. But if Satan appeared before an audience like this, I venture to say that we would applaud him because he would have divine beauty. And we wouldn't be able to tell the difference. 
because he would come as an angel of light. He would come as an angel of light, and you would be drawn to him. We talked about last week, there's a mighty revival happening in Samaria. Philip's down there, and there's this huge revival happening. People are getting saved left and right. We made a, we made a connection to the woman at the well. Was she there? Did she help in the revival? Did she bring into remembrance of what she learned from Jesus that day when they had their, their little discussion at the well? When the people got saved all around her, was she part of that revival? Was she was going, yeah, I remember him. He sat and talked with me. And, and she was bringing back into remembrance in this revival. This great joy filled the city. Multitudes were in one accord, it says, as they heeded the things that Philip said. They cast out demons. They, they healed the lame. Miracles were drawing people to Jesus, and these miracles were opening their hearts to receive God's word, and we made the clarity that miracles alone do not save. Miracles do not save you. Miracles open up a pathway to Jesus Christ. Miracles open up a pathway to see Jesus Christ because he's the one responsible for the miracles. And people aren't being saved by miracles. The miracle happens when God opens your heart and you receive God's word. But Satan had a man in his corner. He had a man that he wanted to carry out a little plan that he had devised. So we're going to take care of this revival. I got my guy planning it right there. I'm going to use him mightily. Look at verses 9 to 11 in the book of Acts, chapter 8. But there was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great to whom they all gave heed, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. We're introduced to Satan's man. We're introduced to Satan's counterfeit. His name is Simon. He's known as Simon the Sorcerer. Sorcery basically is magic. And according to Webster's 1828, it, it's an enchantment. It's witchcraft. It's divination with the assistance of evil spirit. And it's the power of commanding evil spirits. Now this is what Simon does. And he's good at what he does. Everybody loved him. They, they followed him. And because Simon had this power of sorcery, he was able to amaze people with the things he did, and therefore people believed what he did, and they followed him. And they followed him. There's several things worth noting here. Several things worth noting. First of all, Simon claims that he's someone great. Right away, that should ring a bell in your head when somebody says, I'm pretty great, aren't I? Enough of me talking about me. What do you think of me? When somebody starts telling you how great they are, there should be a bell going off. Then wait a minute here. I want to know how great you are. I want to know how great Christ is. Because Christ is the one we're supposed to talk about. But Simon says he's great. Simon tells everybody, Bobby has everybody convinced that he's great too. But look at this. What do we call that? Pride. You know, the scriptures have a lot to say about pride in the heart of a man. A lot to say about pride in the heart of the man. Let me throw a couple of them at you. Proverbs 13.10, pride comes, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with a well-advised is wisdom. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall, Proverbs 16.18. A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor, Proverbs 29.23. 1 Peter 5.5, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. There's a problem here. Simon's prideful. Look what I did. Look what I can do for you. I did all these things. I must be great. But Simon has the Samaritans buffaloed. They think he is the power. His power is from God. Not only do they think his power is from God, the Scripture says they believe his power, he is of God. Some of the scholars believe that Simon was actually claiming himself to be Almighty God. 
Some of the scholars say that the way the wording reads is that was he was, he was telling them. Where else would the Samaritans get this idea but from a very prideful, conceited person telling them how great he was? But look at the contrast here between a counterfeit servant of God and a true servant of God. It can be found in the book of Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians 2, verses 1 through 5, when Paul says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or with wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith should not be of the wisdom of men, but the power of God. Look at the dichotomy. Look at, look at the difference here. You got someone saying, look how great I am. And Paul's saying, hey, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm the least of the apostles, but look what God has done for me. He doesn't point, Paul never points the way to himself. He points the way to Jesus Christ. That's our job. That's what we do. We point the way to Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't looking for himself to be raised up. He wasn't looking for notice. Paul only wanted to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. I only want to see in you Christ and Christ crucified, the cross. That's all I want to see in you, Christ crucified. Paul never claimed he had God's power. He wasn't claiming to be someone. All he wanted to see the Corinthians do was come to Christ and follow Christ in a very, very hard way. Simon wanted all the attention of the Samaritans. Simon thought he was something because he did signs and wonders in this enchanting thing and his, his magic. You know, for some time, Simon was the only game in town. Everybody hated him and they were astonished by him. Nobody came near him. He wowed them with their sorceries, his tricks, his dog and pony show. Simon's power and sorcery were energized by Satan. Satan used Simon to magnify himself and magnify Satan. It's a sad commentary that there are pulpits all over the nation as we speak today where that is happening, where people are putting on dog and pony shows, where people are using lights and mirrors and smoke, and a very, very watered-down mix of the gospel. And it is drawing thousands upon thousands, upon thousands. Never mention the S word. Don't say hell. Don't say those bad words. It's a watered down gospel. I call it the gospel. Not really the gospel at all. It's watered down. It's make believe. But there's dog and pony shows going all over the place. And why are they happening? So men can draw people to themselves. Because they're following a man. They're not following a savior. They're following a man in a pulpit and not a savior. And you, my friends, my beloved, my brothers and sisters in Christ, I do not want you to follow me anywhere. I want you to follow me only as I follow Jesus Christ. You are a sure. 
You've been listening to Pastor Dave on A Sure Hope. Pastor Dave is working his way through the book of Acts. Did you know that the first martyr for Jesus was a great man of faith? His name was Stephen, and he was bold and courageous to proclaim the name of Jesus to others. He wasn't afraid to tell the truth, even when it cost him his life. What courage in the midst of opposition. Do you think you could do the same in this day and age? It's hard to stand up for Jesus when everyone around you is telling you you're intolerant, unloving, and just looking to put people down if you tell them they're doing something wrong. But what makes things right or wrong is firmly rooted in Scripture. It's God's Word that should direct morality, and Stephen was unafraid to go there. If you like this message and would like to catch up on any message you may have missed, head over to AsureHopeRadio.com. There you'll find many messages from the Book of Acts, as well as other series. If you find yourself in the Cape May, New Jersey area, stop in and see us. All the information you need is on our website, location, directions, and service times. And if you prefer to call, you can do that too. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that's 609-884-5821. We'd be happy to answer any questions over the phone. Well, that's all we have time for today, but we've loved spending this time with you. We look forward to the next edition of A Sure Hope. Show.